I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. And welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. Uh, today's going to be something of an impromptu day. I've been kind of in the middle of a lot of things and didn't line up an interview for this month's How Story Works, which is something that I was doing while I was in the drafting portion of the Year of Writing Magically workshop, which I'm going to be talking about in a little bit, because it's it's kind of an experience getting back into like the drafting part of things. But what I've been up to in general is uh, dealing with uh, terrible air quality in Denver. See, I thought when I moved to Colorado, like Colorado, you think of like mountain air and clean and, you know, it's like a democratic government and that they would care about the environment. And it's not that they don't. They do. They do. Like all that stuff is true. It's just that there are a lot of wildfires around here. And so we tend to have like really, really bad air quality when the smoke from the wildfires comes in. And we haven't had smoke from the wildfires, but apparently Canada was burning there for a while. So if any of y'all are out there in Canada, y'all right? Everything everything okay out there? Because I'm getting a little concerned about you. We had so much smog here in Denver that like you can see from where we live pretty much like miles and miles and miles. Like you can see the Denver city skyline. You can see the Rocky Mountains. I think they're the Rockies that you can see. The Flatirons? Well, okay, they're mountains, right? And you can see them from where I live. And then Saturday, uh, we had to leave the house because we had promised these friends of ours that we would help them paint their uh, their baby's bedroom. And I actually really love painting and home improvement projects. So I was kind of excited for that. So we ended up leaving the house on this day where you're not supposed to leave the house. Like the, the air was just like it was like the third worst air quality in the world on Saturday. Uh, but we ended up, you know, going over to this uh, friend's house and doing this painting and all of that kind of stuff. And as we were driving, like, you couldn't see Denver. Like some of, you know, the buildings were visible, but not all of them. It was really, really super weird. So there's been that going on. Oh, by the way, baby's room came out great. Of course, there was the part of the day where I was like, uh, I had, you know, like this, these clothes that I was like, okay, getting paint on. And at one point, I kind of like was was standing on the step stool and painting the ceiling. And I kind of leaned too close into the wall and got this perfectly round bit of paint right on my boob. Um, so that was a delightful experience. And that T-shirt is that because like I wanted the clothes that had paint on them and that was all great. But it's like this, like right on the, like the boob mark. Like what's up with that? So anyway, um, other exciting things that I have been up to. Uh, I am appearing on the podcast Make Sean and Sinead Love Movie, uh, which is done by Sean of Sinead Persaud. You may remember them from the discussion with Shipwreck Comedy that we had uh, last time here on How Story Works. They are absolutely delightful. And they have this wonderful podcast where uh, people are supposed to show them a movie that they love that pretty much everybody hates, like, and, and then try to defend it and try to get them to love it. So so my job was to come in and make Sean and Sinead love Jumbo Jack Flash from 1986, which is a Whoopi Goldberg movie. I absolutely love it. Um, it delights me. I love that movie. I think that there are a lot of things about it that are delightful. 
I've shown it to a lot of people and have discovered that I, I, I may be the only person who loves that movie. Um, I think that like there are I think that story wise, there are things that probably need some work. Um, but like, you know, I grew up in the 80s. Um, it was this incredible kind of vision of what could be in the future because it had sort of internet chat before a thing that before that was a thing you know um and as a fun little uh adventure and of course Whoopi Goldberg is absolutely delightful to me I find her hilarious and I really enjoyed her during that time in her career uh so I my job was to make them love that and um you'll just have to sign up for it uh and listen but uh, they also had somebody on who was discussing another 80s movie called the Cutting Edge uh, with D.B. Sweeney and um, Moira Kelly, who was also in uh, The West Wing um, and did not like her in The West Wing, love her in The Cutting Edge. Uh, but anyway, so uh, there are some really great movies. They have really fun conversations. I have a really high energy and Sean and Sinead are hilarious, but in this like very kind of calm energy. Um, so I try to take it down a notch. Try not to be overwhelming. I've discovered that sometimes my big energy can be a little bit overwhelming for people. Anyway, that will be coming out, I believe, the first week of June. Um, so you should go ahead and listen to that. And if you are interested, follow Shipwreck Comedy um, on all the major socials. Uh, Sean and Sinead Persaud, absolutely follow them. And check them out on YouTube if you haven't already after last month's interview, because the Headless uh, miniseries that they did was fabulous. They have Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Murder Mystery Dinner Party, which is also amazing. I love the work that they do. Uh, they're working on an audio fiction project right now, which I'm very excited about. So um, definitely go check them out. Aside from that, I have been doing, I mean, I don't want to say nothing because that's not true. Like that's never true. And I get it. But it feels like I'm not doing anything because I'm writing. Um, even though I'm teaching the Year of Writing Magically uh, workshop, which is amazing, we've gone through our discovery process. Now we're in our drafting process. Uh, this is also known as the despair process um, because the actual writing of the book is so difficult and it's such a challenge. And I, there are things, because it's been so long since I've gone through this process, um, that I had forgotten. There are things that I had forgotten about the about the whole thing. And so we've been doing this for, um, when did we start? Not quite a month. It's been like three weeks. The, oh my God, it's only been three weeks. It's been three weeks that we've been writing pretty much every day. Um, we have a private Discord chat. Everybody comes in. Um, they share... Uh, how many words they got that day or like depending on some people are doing screen writing. So that would be more like a pages thing. Um, and then we'll share little snippets of like the favorite thing that we wrote that day. And then other people will come in and respond with their favorite parts of what we wrote. It is absolutely fulfilling my vision of the, the value of community in a writing process. And I absolutely love it. We're all going through this together. We're bonding. We're um, enjoying each other. It's just this incredible experience. And it's so unbelievably helpful to have the community there while you're working. And I mean, here I am. I am both like doing the process and teaching the process as we go. And so we got to this point after the first three weeks. This has just sort of started happening like last week 
Like I had a couple of zero word days. Um, there were some days where like life interfered. There was a day where I just couldn't. Like I just got up in the morning and was like, you know what? Today, can't. Not gonna. Done. And I just didn't do anything that day because I knew I needed the break, you know. Um, and so some people are coming in like they're, they're starting to slow down. They're starting to kind of like feel the the those moments in the book where you're just like not making that progress. And that's when I remembered the doldrums. That's when I thought back to every single book I have ever, ever written and how I would write and be really excited to be making all this progress. And I would get to this point And like now I understand it as the end of the first act, right? I get to the end of the first act. I would get my character committed to the process, to whatever it is that they needed to do. And then, uh, I I don't know, Um, I would kind of fall off a, a cliff with it and be unsure of what to do. And then one of two things would happen during my writing processes in the past with the past books. Usually, most often, my response to a shut door is to throw myself bodily against it until it cracks under the sheer force of my will. Um, And so I would do that. And I've done that to the point where I've written like 10,000 words that I then had to go back and frog. Um, And frogging uh, is a concept that comes from like yarn craft work, like crochet and knitting. And it's when you uh, do a bunch of of knitting or crochet and then discover that you've made a mistake or that something went wrong or you read the the pattern wrong or whatever. And then you got to just frog it. You got to pull all those stitches back to the last spot where it was good and then continue on from there. And I found myself frogging like 10, 15,000 words. Um, So I would go through, write all this stuff, do five to 10,000 words. Usually, if usually I would recognize that this is not going in the right direction by 10,000 words, but, um, but I would push myself through it for four or five days, like a week, um, and get all of those words and then just, you know, realize I couldn't use them. And then I'd go back and frog and I would start over from that point. And then usually once I started over, I would get on the right track. Uh, but so I've had times where I've gone and done another 10,000 words and then had to frog it and go back. And that is an incredibly frustrating process. And the thing that I realized from this, which I'm calling the drafting doldrums, right, that that shift from first act to second act is that when you start writing, Even if you're somebody who is a plotter and you've got everything planned out and all that kind of stuff, when you start writing, things are happening. You're adding things in. There are uh, little elements and nuances that kind of shape the central narrative conflict into a different space. And this is why the House Story Works book, the, the teaching of that method and the writing of that book has helped me so much, is that in previous books, I would not know what was going on. I would not know why it was all falling apart. And I would just have to work on instinct until I finally hit it. Now I know exactly what happened. Exactly what happened is this. I went in, I had a general idea of the central narrative conflict because I, of course, am a pantser. So I had some discovery work done. I had a general idea of the central narrative conflict. Wasn't entirely like 100% sure exactly how all this was going to unfold, but I went with it. So I wrote, I'm like at 32,000 words in now. So that's about my first act. And um, and then hit this point where I'm like, I'm not really sure. And I wrote one scene and I was like, eh, 
it's a filler scene. It's clearly a filler scene. I needed to, to kill some time before the next big moment happened. And I wanted to develop a relationship between these two characters and kind of like spend a little more time in that. Um, and it's not, it's not terrible. That's not a bad thing to do. Like that's part of the whole writing process is having some of those scenes where things develop a little bit more slowly, where things are uh, maybe a little more like emotional and internal rather than external movement. All of that stuff is totally great and fine. Uh, but I knew that I, I wasn't sure where my next external, like jumping from lily pad to lily pad, right? Like I wasn't sure where my next external momentum lily pad was. Um, and I kind of fell back. And then realize that the reason why this happens at the transition is because, like I was saying, first act, you start writing, um, you things happen, there's nuance, there's things in there uh, that you're adding in, and you need to kind of understand all of that and how that contributes to your central narrative conflict before you can move forward, right? So I got to the beginning of the second act, completely floundered. I had a couple of, of zero days. It's like a car that will kind of start, but not really. And then realized I needed to take a little bit of time off to have a couple of zero days and just um, kind of sit with it, right? I just needed to, I mean, honestly, sit and play video games. Like, I know that sounds like an excuse to play video games. I don't play video games that much. When I'm drafting, I, there's something about video games and I don't know what it is, especially video games I've played before. Um, so I kind of know what's going on, but it, it sort of occupies me in a way that allows my narrative brain to sort of do some work. Um, so I spent a day playing a video game, uh, went to bed, woke up in the middle of the night and had my answer as to what was going wrong with my central narrative conflict. What were the things in my central narrative conflict that during the writing of this first act I had added in and yet was not considering when I was thinking about what my next moves were. Um, so I, I did that. I woke up after giving myself the space, which is something I also have not been prone to do in the past, but have learned that it is necessary. Gave myself the space, gave myself a couple of days, gave myself the time, stopped putting that pressure on myself. And then the next act sort of unfolded for me, or at least the next couple of lily pads. Like I, uh, the the writing for me unfolds lily pad by lily pad, right? Um, and I realize I'm getting a lot of like amphibian metaphors going in in my writing, and I don't hate it. I don't hate that. Kind of like it. Frogging lily pads. I think it's good. Now I need a third one, right, for the magic of threes. We'll see what happens before the end of this podcast. So anyway, I, I realized that what happens whenever this happens, it's always central narrative conflict. It's always that I, I don't know where that is or where that's going or what's happening with that. And so I've been talking to the the students in the cohort who are also kind of going through this. And I'm like, oh, no, wait, this is totally normal. This is what happens at this point. Um, and so when I was able to kind of like explain that to them and, and I made a video for the class today, um, kind of explaining how this happens and how the answer is not to push harder. We always think that we need to push harder whenever something isn't working. And I think most often, or at least, okay, when I say we, I mean me, right? And I think that culturally, like I didn't come out of a vacuum, culturally, that is kind of where we lean. You 
may be more evolved with me. Your mileage may vary. So understand when I say we, I am kind of talking the cultural we, not necessarily you and me we, because I don't know what's going on with you. You might have everything all put together. Uh, I don't. I'm I'm a big freaking messy person. And as I sort through my mess, this is how I talk about it. But anyway, uh, culturally, I think that when um, things aren't working, um, instead of taking the breath, taking the day, taking the time, uh, resting, recuperating, restarting, we are we feel like that's an excuse to be lazy. That critical voice in our head just starts saying, well, you just want to play video games all day. You're just looking for an excuse. Um and I think that comes from like all sorts of broken things in in our culture. When I talk about our culture, of course, I'm talking about American culture. Can't speak to like if you're from another part of the world, uh, you may have different cultural uh, considerations than I do. But this is what I struggle with. Um, so this idea that like I'm malingering, I'm just using it as an excuse because I don't want to work, yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm being lazy, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that... Um, we, the real problems come from kind of the opposite direction. It's that we won't allow ourselves to rest or do anything else. We won't give ourselves a break. We won't give ourselves the space to fix whatever it is that needs fixing. And sometimes that means putting it away and deliberately doing something else. I think that's why video games work so well for me when I'm in drafting, and only when I'm in drafting, I don't tend to play. I mean, aside from like the absent-minded little video games you play on like your phone, you know, like the match three bejeweled kind of Candy Crush stuff. Um, that's a different thing. But like video games with narrative and, you know, like with a game pad, game controller, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's different. And I think that occupying my mind with uh, especially questy video games where I have to go and get three of these shards from, you know, the hinterlands or whatever, um, that doing these little quests, um, doing these little tasks, that something about that opens up a space for my brain to kind of be active elsewhere. So, um, so that is one of the things that like, if you are find or find yourself in a drafting moment, right, where things are stopping and you're not getting the words that you want to get and you feel like it's pulling teeth, I don't think that the response, or at least it's never worked for me to push harder, to to see when I see that something isn't working, I do the thing that's not working so hard, right? And I think that there are times where the actual response is to pull back, is to create space. Um, but the problem is that you can't do that if you're feeling guilty about the space that you created. So it is super important that you figure out how to make space in your life around the things that aren't working. Um, I, it's kind of the way that like when, you know, you go out, you exercise, you, you know, pull a shoulder muscle or something. The response is not to go and work out harder. The response is to rest, you know, give that muscle the space that it needs to heal. Um, and I think that there's definitely something in that in writing. So if anybody out there is in their drafting phases, um, and trying to get stuff done and things aren't working, maybe, 
If you haven't taken the space approach, maybe give that a shot and see how that works for you. And if it does, or it doesn't work, or there's something else, uh, definitely let me know. Lonnie at LonnieDianRich.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, So speaking of being unprepared for things, uh, which is kind of the way that I exist right now is in a constant state of not being prepared for things. Uh, for those of you who are subscribed to my Dear Writer Substack newsletter, uh, you will remember not long ago I talked about how my brain is mush and I forget everything and I don't know what day it is. Uh, and that is kind of the effect that uh, that that drafting has on me. My brain just becomes mushy. I, I forget things. I, I am constantly like 50% of my brain is always working the story, you know, in the background, um, which is why I like to have a really dedicated, intense drafting process of no more than like two months. Right. Um, because otherwise I just I lose the thread. Like I just I can't. It's just too much. Um, I like if I'm going to have mushy brain, I like to make it a condensed time period in which that mushy brain exists. I also find that if I give a story too long uh, to kind of like meander around that oftentimes it'll meander into places that I'm not uh, ready to go in or that don't match what I started with because I take so long to write it that it kind of starts going off in different spaces because I'm bored of that story. So I really do need to move quickly when I'm in drafting. Um, But another thing that has been happening because I'm in drafting and because my brain is mushy is that I'm forgetting that things are due. Like it it might have occurred to you while listening to me talk today that I forgot to record the How Story Works podcast until today, Monday, May 22nd, which is when this is going up. That might have occurred to you. I'm not going to confirm whether or not your presumption is correct. I'm just acknowledging that that might have occurred to you. So in that vein, I am going to share with you the Dear Writer letter that I did last week, also on a Monday, also on a day where I hadn't done the thing I was supposed to do until the very moment it was supposed to be done. Um, And I feel like that should give you some insight into how all of this is going for me. And, and, And for those of you who have the suspicion that I didn't record the How Star Works podcast until uh, the afternoon of the day that it was due. Um, Maybe it's a confirmation. Maybe it's not. I I like to maintain a little mystery. So here we go. Dear writer. I didn't forget to write today. You forgot to write today. Dear writer. Okay, I'm going to be straight with you. It's 9 p.m. and I haven't written a Dear Writer letter today because I forgot it was Monday until it was almost not Monday anymore. Remember how last week I told you my brain was turning to mush? Well, I clearly was not lying. That said, sometimes we need to write even when we don't feel like it. So I'm turning to ChatGPT to see if this new AI technology that's been making everyone lose their shit can give me something to write about inside the deadline that no one really cares about, but which means something to me. You hear that ticking? Yeah, that's a friggin' clock, baby. Let's do this thing. I went to ChatGPT and told it I forgot to write my newsletter today and asked it for a topic idea, and I got this. Write a personal essay about a moment in your life when you faced a difficult decision that challenged your values and how you navigated through it. Ugh. 
This is the thing about AI. It's a goddamn sincere all the time. But okay, let me tell you about the time I forgot to write my newsletter and then tried to get an AI to write it for me. It challenged my values in that I like to write my own stuff. But it also challenged my values in that it provided a prompt I couldn't use because it was boring as fuck. But mostly the values challenge was because I like to write my own stuff and it's wrong to let anyone or anything do your work for you because it's wrong. I navigated through this challenge by getting annoyed and then trying to find another way to make an AI do my homework, which resulted in one of the most obviously regrettable things I could possibly do, which was asking ChatGPT to write a Dear Writer newsletter about forgetting to write my Dear Writer newsletter and see if you can tell where I went horribly wrong because it's right here in the style of Lonnie Diane Rich. ChatGPT writing as me. Dear writer, oh sweet darling, it's okay to forget things sometimes. Life has a way of tossing us into a whirlwind, spinning us around until we're left dizzy and disoriented. We've all been there, lost in the chaos, trying to hold on to every little thread of our sanity. So take a deep breath and let me tell you something. You're doing just fine. Me, in response to ChatGPT writing as me. That is not how I sound. Oh my God, is that how I sound? ChatGPT, writing as me. You see, my dear, being a writer means embracing the messiness of life. It means diving headfirst into the glorious tangle of words and ideas, and sometimes amidst that beautiful chaos, a few things slip through the cracks. It happens to the best of us, even those of us who seem to have it all together. Me responding to ChatGPT writing as me. Glorious tangle, are you shitting me? But I am a little chatty like that. The run-on sentences, the overuse of commas. Oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. ChatGPT writing as me. But here's the thing, love. Your worth as a writer isn't defined by a missed deadline or a forgotten newsletter. No, your worth is found in the words that you weave, the stories that come alive under your fingertips. It's in the moments of pure magic when you capture the essence of the human experience and offer it up to the world. Me responding to ChatGPT writing as me. That's a lot of words to say pretty much nothing. Is this me? Do I write like that? Cue mild panic attack. ChatGPT writing as me. So, my dear, forgive yourself for this oversight. Embrace the imperfections that make you uniquely you. And when time is right, sit down with your pen and your keyboard and pour your heart out onto the page. Let the words dance across the canvas, painting a picture of resilience and determination. Me responding to ChatGPT writing as me. Okay, I would never write let the words dance across your canvas. This is not me. Fuck you, ChatGPT. You useless piece of artificial sh- ChatGPT, writing as me. Remember, my love, that life is a wild and unpredictable ride. There will be bumps along the way, detours that lead you astray. But it's in those unexpected twists and turns that you'll find the inspiration that fuels your writing soul. My response to ChatGPT writing as me. Oh, I, I see my mistake. My mistake was asking it to write in the style of Lonnie Diane Rich. That was where it all went so horribly, horribly wrong. I see that now. My kingdom for a time machine. ChatGPT writing as me. 
So my dear writer, let go of the self-doubt and the guilt. You are forced to be reckoned with a creative spirit capable of moving mountains with your words. And in the grand tapestry of your writing journey, this forgotten newsletter is but a small thread easily woven back into the fabric of your beautiful story. My response to ChatGPT, writing is me. My dear writer, my love, my dear sweet darling, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Right, honey baby schnookykins? ChatGPT, writing is me. Keep writing, keep dreaming, and know that you have a community of fellow writers cheering you on every step of the way. With love and boundless admiration, Lonnie Diane Rich. You ever have one of those moments when you look at a picture of yourself and you think, do I really look like that? It never occurred to me that there could ever be a writing version of that experience. But this is the writing version of that experience. It's fucking hideous. The only comfort I can take is that it didn't even drop one F-bomb. And if it had really studied me, it would have dropped a lot of them. But... Since I am clearly a glutton for punishment, I took this moment to double the fuck down. I wanted to get some confirmation that it had all been a horrible mistake. And not only was this thing not aping my style, but it probably didn't even know who I was. So I went back to the chat prompt and typed, do you even know who Lonnie Diane Rich is? Hoping the thing would respond with no. I am only aware of famous people and people who are good enough at what they do not to try to get me to do their work for them at the last freaking minute. And the little shit gave me this. Yes, Lonnie Diane Rich, also known as Lucy March, is a contemporary romance author and podcast host. She's written several novels, including Maybe Baby, The Fortune Quilt, and Wish You Were Here. Lonnie Diane Rich is also known for her engaging and witty writing style, as well as her work as a writing coach and instructor. She has a warm and humorous approach to storytelling and often infuses her writing with relatable characters and heartfelt moments. Well, that's a little creepy in its complete fucking accuracy, but I didn't write that. None of my bios say any of that. How did it know? Okay, so here's where we are. I forgot to write my Dear Writer newsletter today, and now I'm getting it in just under the wire of Monday, and I tried to have ChatGPT write it for me, and now the AI version of me is creeping me the fuck out, which is proof that sometimes people get exactly what they deserve. Everything L. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed that from Dear Writer. If you like these little uh, Dear Writer snippets that I'm putting in, then please go subscribe, dearwriter.substack.com. That is my newsletter, and it comes out every Monday, unless I forget, in which case some of them might be on Tuesdays or I might skip a week. Uh, I'm going to be drafting until the end of June, people. I am going to be un predictable. I do have uh, somebody lined up that I'm going to interview. I'm hoping sometime either for the June podcast or the July podcast, Uh, but it's entirely possible you'll be getting another episode like this of the rambly discussions of writing and the writing life. And uh, hopefully you like them. That may be what you're getting. All right. So another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is this, uh, this kind of experience of being back in the saddle. Uh, I have not dedicated myself to a full like writing process since the last Lucy March book, uh, which was released in December of 2015. I think it turned it in like the end of 2014. Um, And it's 
It's so interesting to come back to it after all of this time off. Uh, similar to like what I was just explaining with the the drafting doldrums and how I figured that out by connecting with the central narrative conflict, um, there is kind of like the the writer that I was before I had how story works before I had developed that method. Uh, before I had been teaching it for so many years, before I wrote the How Story Works book. Um, and now how I am as a writer with the understanding of these these basic elements of story that are so like easy and simple to plug into any writing process, pantser, plotter, whatever it is. It's so easy to plug in. And then and then the things that used to trip me up for days, weeks, months, now will be like a day. And then I'll be like, all right, let me go back to principles and apply, you know, what I know to this story. How is that going to work? And it is making me so much more confident as a writer. It's making the writing process, the drafting so much easier. Um, it is I I was worried when I first started doing all of this exploration, like into really understanding how story works, there was a fear in me that if I understood it, it would somehow kill the magic of writing, that I wouldn't have, you know, this magic that I had available to me. Um, and I, I've discovered that I'm completely wrong. It is it is such a help. I think that the problem was that I would read other writing books. Um, this isn't a House of Works commercial. Like, I mean, I guess it is. I guess the whole podcast pretty much is. But still, like, it's it's so interesting to me how it has affected the way that I write. I Like I said, I was so worried that it would take away the magic that I wouldn't be able to write again because I would I would know how it all worked behind the scenes. And, and instead, it's ended up being uh, such an essential help to my writing process um, because it, it makes everything easier. When I don't know what's wrong, I can go to principles and figure it out. And and the thing that I love about the How Story Works method is that it is so simple and it applies to every single, you know, every genre, every form. I don't care if you're writing a graphic novel or a, a screenplay, movie, TV series, whatever. Um, you can apply these principles to it because these are just the basic principles. But everything I'd read from people before, you know, like the the books about writing and here's how you do it and here's how it works. It was always a really form dependent. So it would be like this is how you write a screenplay, this is how you write a novel, this is how you do a thing, whatever. When there really isn't one, this is how you do it, right? There's just principles, you know? And so these these books would have a whole bunch of these principles, kind of like understanding some of the stuff that I've built with How Story Works, but then completely miss, you know, how you separate that out from everything else, how you separate it out from a novel as opposed to a screenplay, as opposed to a video game, as opposed to, uh, you know, a graphic novel or a comic book or a TV series, like what is it that applies to everything, you know? And when it comes down to it, what it is that applies to everything is so simple and light um, and easy. It really is super easy. It's it's conflict structure or character. That's it. When you've got those things, it just makes this room for all the other fun stuff that you want to do. And I love that. And I also love the confidence that it gives me. I feel so much more confident as a writer now than I ever did before. And yes, I'm not going to lie. Some of that is because in the years between 2014 
and now um, I've done a lot of therapy. I've engaged in a lot of therapy and it has been so incredibly helpful. Um, so now I'm, I'm less likely to when I hit those moments, like I was talking about before, oh, you're just using this as an excuse. You just don't want to work. You just want to play video games. Like that stuff in my head, that voice, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That critical bitch is still there. Um, but she's so much farther away. It's such a quieter voice. It's so much easier to ignore now. Um, and so that has been incredibly helpful. Uh, but these are all things that I thought like a therapy I was worried was going to like once I stopped being so fucking damaged, you know, would would I be able to be creative? Was it my damage that made me good at what I do? Um, and no, no, it was my damage that made me neurotic about what I do, but it wasn't what made me good. Um, those were all fears that I had kind of going into this time period where I wasn't writing and where I was teaching writing, where I um, was moving from the creative space that I couldn't engage in anymore because I endured so much trauma during that time. Um, and so I just went into this this intellectual teaching space where I didn't have to feel my way through something because feeling when you're in trauma is a, a really difficult uh, prospect <laughs> could be very dangerous. Um, so I, I went into this intellectual space that I also really enjoyed, figured all this stuff out. And now that I'm coming back to it, now that I'm full circle, all of the things that I was afraid of are not a problem. If anything, they've made the process better. They've made it easier. Um, but I have to say that had I not started up the Year of Writing Magically workshop, had I not done this with a bunch of people who are relying on me to lead them through this space. Um, I worry that I might not have the determination and have the dedication. What's the word I'm looking for? Diligence. I think that's it. Um, to stick with it. Like I need people depending on me. You know, I need people having expectations of me um, because part of me is still everything is always about somebody else. Like anything I do still needs to be about somebody else. Look, just because I've been in therapy for a long time doesn't mean that I'm all better. Like there's miles to go before this messed up lady sleeps, right? Um, but now that I've got the intellectual understanding of how story works and that theory and how that plugs into the creative magical side of storytelling, it is, I'm so much more confident. Like I still hit the doldrums. I still hit that spot between first act and second act where I didn't know what was happening, but I was able to come out of it. I was able to apply the knowledge, figure it out and move forward. And that is so damned exciting. It is so exciting to be able to go into a creative process and not be scared that I'm going to screw it up. Um, okay. Okay. Have less of me be scared. Not, okay. Not be petrified into inaction that I'm going to screw it up. So that's, that's kind of where I am now. Um, it's exciting. It's so fun. And I love walking people through this workshop. So Go to yearofwritingmagically.com. If you have a long-form fiction project, 
because I need people to hang out with while I do this again next year. I am doing this every year for the rest of my life. It is so much fun. It is such a wonderful experience. It's so bonding. I know that these students who are working together are going to be bonded from this experience that even after it's all done, this cohort is going to stick together, at least some of them, if not all of them, you know, there's going to be a connection there. And I'm going to maintain the the Discord chat space for them, you know, so that they can keep hanging out even after the year is done. If you have a long form fiction project that you want to get done, go to yearofwritingmagically.com. Uh, you will see that there is a place you can sign up for the mailing list. The mailing list is just going to let you know when applications are open next year or at the end of this year, it'll be towards probably probably October, November-ish when I open them up. Um, so definitely check it out. It is so much fun. It is so amazing. I am loving being there. I'm loving doing this work and I would love to do this work with you. Uh, cannot, like, I, I know it's my workshop and yada, 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 but, but as a participant, cannot recommend it enough. I really think this is, I thought it was a great idea when I came up with it, but there are lots of things that I think are great ideas when I come up with it. And then as I pursue the idea, I'm like, yeah, that, that wasn't as great as I thought it would be. Um, this is even better. This is even better than I, I dreamed it would be. And I feel like that is something that I just want as many people as possible to participate in. So definitely go check it out. It's um, it's so, so cool. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is, is, baby, how are you doing? What's up with you? You're listening to this podcast. You're either a writer or bored and either of them is great I, I love bored people i think that uh, if you're listening if you're bored and you're listening to me to get out from being bored then you go that's that's awesome i am hoping that i am uh, interesting enough to keep uh, to keep you out of that boredom um but i wanted to talk to you guys about how much fun i'm having talking with writers about their writing process and yeah i'm i'm talking to a lot of writers who've had like a certain level of success and i'm doing interviews with people um but i really would love to talk to one of you i would love to sit down i do writing consultations you know and you can find that at lonnydinerich.com if you're interested in hiring me for something private um, but it would be kind of fun to have those conversations like with you as part of the podcast, because listening to people who have had a lot of success with writing is always fun and it's inspiring and it's, you know, and it's cool. And especially if like you're a fan of Jocelyn Jackson or Luke Arnold or someone like that um, of, of shipwreck comedy. Um, it's always fun to kind of like hear how those people have, uh, you know, have done with their work. Um, but for me, like, I really like talking to people who are trying to write, people who maybe haven't gotten that first publication deal, people who uh, who haven't, you know, finished a project yet, but have always wanted to, have always wanted to write. I think that speaking with uh, with you guys would be really, really fun for me. And then I would love to be able to give you advice and kind of talk through the process with you. Uh, and and give you some some thoughts about not necessarily what you're writing, because I think that like a lot of people don't feel comfortable, like you don't want to share necessarily your story ideas with the world. And I get that. Um, but the challenges that you have while you're trying to write um, and working through all that stuff. So that's a, a, a 
conversation that you would be interested in having, all you need is a decent, you know, microphone. It doesn't have to be great. I have done interviews with people who are using their like Apple earbuds with a little microphone on the wire. Um, and those are amazingly good quality. Like uh, you don't have to have a professional studio setup. Um, but if you're interested, email me, Lonnie at LonnieDineRich.com. Tell me what you would like my help with and my advice on. And, uh, and if you'd like to be a guest on How Story Works, because I would love to actually sit and chat with y'all. All right. So that is it for today's episode of How Story Works. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. It was really, really fun talking to you. Uh, I always think that like when I'm just sitting here, sort of it's just me talking. Um, it always feels a little bit weird to me, but y'all make it feel great. It's it's fun to chat with you sort of um, extemporaneously about all of these things. Um, I will have more interviews coming in the future. I will have different kinds of shows uh, coming up in the future. But for right now, uh, I got to get back to this novel. I got to get drafting. So thank you again. Visit LonnieDianeRich.com if you would like some uh, writing consultant uh, work. I'm available for that. Um, go to Chipperish.com if you're looking for more podcasts. And definitely head out to Year of writingmagically.com if you would like to sign up to be on the mailing list to find out when applications open for next year's cohort. Um, and go to patreon.com slash chipperish if you would like to support. I've got everything except how story works on hiatus now while I'm drafting, uh, but more things will be coming back later in the year and your support makes it possible to keep everything up and running uh, while we're working toward that. So thank you so much. And I will talk to you guys next month.